0: Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for another of these interviews. Um, As if you've been following for a while, you'll know that we've done a whole series now with different people sharing their stories of following God's lead into a cross-cultural ministry. Today, I've got another really uh, wonderful friend who is willing to share her story with us. Um, But you'll notice that there are some very real challenges in what um, she has to share. And I've asked her, um, as much as she feels able to talk about the unvarnished truth and the, the difficulties that she went through Um, because the fact is we have to be really real about what the cross-cultural journey is like. Um, It's the front line of spiritual warfare, and things do happen that are shocking and difficult. So we need to be real about these things, and I've asked Bev if she would be very kind and uh, just share her story as it was, as much as she feels able. So anyway, let me introduce you now to Bev Gigny. Uh, Bev, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for being (laughs) Being part of um, this sharing. So, um, Bev was in China with us for a number of years and um, she started a work called um, Doves' Wings, which was a a little um, home for uh, abandoned children or people, kids who were too sick to survive in an orphanage. And she was allowed to take them out and um, take care of them in her home. And this became a really significant work, we we believe. And I wanted to share about that as well. So anyway, let's get started. Um, Thank you again for joining us. And Bev, we've been known each other for a long time, but but we were both getting on a bit when you first arrived in China. So I'm aware there's a lot about your story that I'm not even aware of, of what happened before you went to China. So would you mind starting there and sharing with us um, your background and um, where you were born and raised, your family and all the other things that are
1: relevant there? Absolutely, yeah. I was I was born in a little town, gold mining town called Kalgoorlie, um, which is sort in of Western in, in Western Australia. Australia, yes, it is. Yeah, um, I had one brother, and my my granddad used to live with us as well. And um, my father was killed when I was about five. He was killed on the mine. Um, And then so mum sort of battled along with pop's help for quite a few years and then she remarried. Um, And we had a a wonderful stepfather who was good to us. Um, But none of us at the time were Christians or anything, although somewhere along the line I must have heard about God because I used to listen faithfully every Sunday night to our old valve radio, to Herbert W. Smith, I think, was his name, (laughs) And, um, yeah, and I would just listen to him every night. And I was only probably about eight or nine at that time when I started listening to him. But I never went to church or anything, and I never talked about it to anyone. So it must have been God had me in his his hand at that time, from that time onwards. Um, Yeah, so I just grew up, went through high school, Worked mainly on sheep stations, um, governessing children, um, um, School of the Air radios. It's when we had lessons on the School of the Air and then I taught them for the rest of the day in their classroom. So I did that most of my life. Um, And then I did a stint in Laverton, which is right in the middle of nowhere of Western Australia in the outback, and discovered my love of nursing. Mm-hmm. And I decided there and then that, that's what I was going to do. I was going to become a nurse. But I'd promised myself to another job and when I'd finished that, I got married and then I had four children. And once the children all went to school, that's when I started doing my nursing training. I was determined to do it. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful. And so we, my mother and I had this arrangement when I was at the nursing school learning she would be at home with my kids and we went 50-50 in my pay. So that helped them as pensioners, and it helped me to get again my nursing skills. Wow. So it worked very well. Yeah. Mm. So and, and even at that time I wasn't going to church, but I still had this, you know how you have a God consciousness right. all the time. And my kids went to Sunday school and actually they begged me to go one day for Mother's Day ceremony where they were going to sing and I thought oh I don't really want to go to there (laughs) and um, so but I went for their sake and they come out and they did that and all these weird people were there standing up with their hands in the air and clapping and singing and being happy and I thought oh this is a cult of some sort (laughs) Um, but it was it was a Pentecostal church and um, eventually I sadly got divorced and then I was really really searching for something and I was advised to go to a Keswick convention when I'd moved into Esperance and I went along to a very, very dry service. The speaker was terribly boring and dry, but somewhere in the middle of all of that, I knew that I knew suddenly that I was born again
0: wow. and it
1: was purely with God. It was purely. I was right in the middle of this very dry meeting and I can remember thinking, God, this is not what I want. And he obviously thought, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> and just just like that, I was—I I knew that I knew that I knew that I was born again. He just built my faith in extraordinary ways. Um, I, I started going to a Pentecostal church, but it was—it was like a—I felt like I was on a one-on-one journey with God, and he just built my faith in the most amazing ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so that's where my journey started. A long time ago with God, but in all seriousness, um, when I moved after my divorce.
0: Right. So yeah. then um, you were still working as a nurse at that stage, then.
1: I was. I was working in a doctor's surgery as the nurse in the surgery. I had done a long stint in Kalgoorlie Hospital, but yeah, I was nurse. I was a nurse at um, a doctor's surgery here in Esperance, and I was there for quite some time.
0: Okay. But we met in China, so um, how did you sense a call for you to go to, to or, or God's leading anyway, for, for you to go to China? When did that happen?
1: Oh, James Goss. <laughs> after after my children all finished school and, and found jobs, I had always had an orphanage orphanages on my heart, always, but I didn't know how to get there and how to connect with it. And James Goss came down to Esperance and he gave a talk on um, Chinese Church's support ministry, and he talked about the, the um, mercy side of it with the teams going to the orphanages. So I spoke to him afterwards and I said, Well, look, you know, I've always had orphanages on my heart, but nobody knows how to get there or help. And he said, Oh, that's easy. We've got a, a mercy team going over to an orphanage on this date. It'll cost you this much. Um, it's going to take this long. It, we were in country this long. He said, Do you want to go? And I thought, oh, oh, I'm not really sure. (laughs) But anyhow, I did. I committed and I went and um, God just broke my spirit, broke my heart Mm. on that first visit, Um, absolutely broke my heart. And I can remember I came home and first time back at church, I stood at the door of the church and, and looked looked at everyone with their all the families with their children and babies and I just started crying for the children that I'd left behind in China Mm -hmm. Um, and it just it just I just knew then Um, and I went back on another mercy team the next year Mm -hmm. and that's when God spoke to me and said just let me know that I could not help children just 10 days a year that's That's not helping them at all. In fact, it's possibly making it harder for them because they have 10 days of people loving on them and giving them things and helping them, and then all of a sudden it's all gone again. Yeah. So that's when I decided God was calling me. And I can remember I spoke with David Ryan, who was the mercy leader, and I said to him, I think God is calling me to be here permanently. And he Mm. said, well, look, Bev, When you've got your bags packed and your ticket booked, let me know, because everybody says that to me who comes on a mercy team. Hmm. And so that's just what I did. I went home. I organised everything, rented out my house, packed my bags, booked a ticket to China, and I rang David up and said, well, I've got a ticket booked, I've got my bags packed, and I'm ready to go. Where do you want me to go? (laughs) What do you want me to do? And he said, oh. Um, oh, well, no, look, yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) When are you going? And I said, well, i booked my ticket for this date. And there was a pause at the other end of the phone and he said, did you know we've got a mercy team going in on that same date? And I said, no, but, yeah. So I went over with the team to Jadzor Mm -hmm. and um, when they left, I stayed. And um, I was sort of seconded to... Um, Coat, which is a Chinese orphans assistance team, they had a um, a foster home up and running, so that was wonderful training for me. It was already up and running, so I stayed on with Coat and worked with them for, I think about four or five months. February, right. yeah, four or five months.
0: Which year and was this by now?
1: This would have been in the year two thousand and five.
0: Okay. The process would have been um, you needed to do the school admissions first of all. So, at what stage did you come across and and join that?
1: Two thousand and four was my first team Mm -hmm. over there, and I went straight on a Mercy team. We we all met in Hong Kong at um, what was it that high place that was High Rock,
0: High Rock, High Rocks,
1: and it really was High Rocks, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, Yes, all the teams met up there with CCSM. Um, and then we all went in our different directions, and I only ever went on mercy teams, um, two it. mercy teams, and then I went back and stayed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So then, after how many months in Child's War, you then moved to Xi'an? Did you? I think I must into, have been there about was-
1: five months, helping to run five or six months helping to run their their um, their foster home, which was on the top floor of one of the. Um, Orphanages, buildings. Okay. Um, so that was really good training. And after that, David said, Would well, I consider going to Xi'an to go to the um, CCSM, which I did. And uh, yeah, so, and went to a language school. I realised if I'm going to stay there, I needed to learn the language and the culture mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to stay there and work
0: there. Right. So. So that would have been a challenge then to go because it was communal living, wasn't it, in an apartment, and you all had the uh, teaching for the for the morning for the school of missions, and then had to go to language school in the afternoon.
1: That's that's so right, and it was it was a challenge because it wasn't just um, I wasn't an academic person; I was a hands-on feel person. Um, but there was so much, you know, writing and essays and things that we had to do that. I thought, I'm going to fail here because this is just not what I'm here for, you know. It's, um, but it was necessary. You know, in hindsight, it was very necessary to have that training because we did learn about what it's like to live in another country and we did learn about um, having to have tolerance Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd lived on my own for quite some time. So living with three, two or three other people, I had to learn to be much more tolerant than I was and, and to fit in with other
0: people, right. which is not yeah. something you do when you're living on your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about getting accustomed to the Chinese culture as well? Did that helpful? Was the, the school helpful for that?
1: Very helpful. Um, you, you couldn't. You couldn't possibly stay over there and work for any length of time, I think, in any country unless you learn their culture because mm-hmm. you're in their home. Yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and so you live to commit to be in their home for some time. You commit to learning their culture and living by their culture, their laws. Um, it is their country. And I, I expected that I would have to learn that. Mm-hmm. It would be very disrespectful to the chinese people if i hadn't done that
0: so yeah i remember one we had a, a a team going through and i was um, on on that team and i remember the um, no i think i was making a visit to the school that's right and, and there was a meeting a sunday meeting where the the name doves wings came up so can you um can you tell us how you started um that that yeah. the-
1: well, well, I had this dream that I wanted to start a foster home and get the little babies out of the orphanage. Having been with Coat in their foster home, um, I had this vision of it, and and the vision I got that morning was of a a, a dove sitting down with all her little babies tucked under her wings, right. and I thought that's just what I want to do I want to get these babies and I want to tuck them under our wings and and love on them and care for them and and nurse them back to health and and I just saw this dove with all these little babies under her wings and I thought that's it and in fact it is referred to in psalms somewhere where I will hide you under the wings of a dove or something to that Mm -hmm. effect Mm -hmm. and uh, so yes so that's where my dove's wings name came
0: from Right. And so how did you go about um, putting that together then?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how did provide? I was walking home from the language school one afternoon and I was praying. I, um, I, I prayed all the You need to pray all the time over there. And I was praying as I was walking and I can remember saying to God, I might as well go home. I'm not making any difference whatsoever to anyone here, God. I might as well be home. I'm not helping any children. Nothing's happening. Um, So what's the point? And within six weeks of me saying that to God, uh, we had our first apartment. We had hired two office boys and an IE, who is a Chinese auntie or carer, um, all Christians, and we had... I think our first baby, uh, I, 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 I know the apartment was the one that we were in as students, came mm-hmm. up for rent. So we, we just went ahead and I spoke with David and he said, well, let's do it. So he went ahead and, and rented that. I don't know how we found the boys, but the boys came into our lives, jo- Joseph and John, um, and were eager to be involved. Um, and we found a... a a Chinese lady, Christian Chinese lady who was already working in the orphanage, who wanted to leave the orphanage but go somewhere and look after children, we employed her and we got a baby. Wow. Um, right. and, and, that was, and that all happened within six weeks of me saying mm-hmm. to God, something's got to happen or I'll go home.
0: Right. So I Actually.
1: wasn't giving God an ultimatum at all. Um, sometimes I do, and that's not always a good idea. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, so from then we just moved on. We got three. I think we had Jonathan there for about three weeks, and then suddenly we got three more babies from Xi'an Orphanage, very little sick ones. Mm-hmm. So we employed more Christian ladies. Our Ying Chun, our first one that we employed, she brought some friends along, and so we employed them. And, yeah, it just it just snowballed from there. And mm-hmm. I kept saying, God, do you know what you're doing? But yes, he did.
0: <laughs> right,
1: and yes, some of right.
0: those um, babies then got adopted out of China, didn't they, or were yes. they also locally adopted?
1: No, none of them were locally adopted. The Chinese one of that's a part of their culture is um, having perfect children, and because they're orphans, the Chinese thought was if their parents don't love them, then they're not worth having, um, which is very very sad. Mm. Um, so most of them got adopted to America. Some went to Italy. I'm still actually in touch with some of the families, yeah. with some of the children, yeah, um, which is really lovely. Um, yeah, so I think one girl, one, one of our baby girls was adopted to Beijing by a lady who came from the adoption centre to check and make sure that our kids were worthy of being adopted. Mm-hmm. And uh, she adopted, adopted Joy one of our
0: baby girls, yeah, right. so. so um, I mean, have you ever thought of the impact that you actually had, not only on the babies, but also on the staff, on other people that you modelled things to?
1: I had not so much the people, but the babies. Um, I came across this word one day called peripity. The word was peripety, and when you have a peripety moment in your life, it's when your life completely changes in a moment. Wow. And I suddenly thought all of these children that we were able to take to our foster home—that was their peripety moment, where their life changed completely. Right. Um, and in fact, I don't know what the odds are for this, but one of the little girls that we adopt that we had was adopted to Italy. And she has met the Pope. <laughs> okay. What is the likelihood of an abandoned baby from the middle of China meeting the Pope? Right. So, <laughs> so that's you know, so that's the it's such a huge impact on their lives. And uh-huh. the ones uh-huh. that I'm in touch with now, they have, um, they're all doing extremely well. And their parents actually said how well they settled down at home. And I believe that's because they had the one-on-one family type of life mm-hmm. that we were able to give them in Dove's Wings. Right. There's four homes now of Dove's Wings, um, and that's. And I must admit, I'm I'm not at all prideful, but I'm so very proud of the fact that those places are still running
0: in China. Right. Absolutely. Um,
1: and yeah. it's all locally run
0: now, so that's, um, that's brilliant. It's all too.
1: locally run. They, they really, once they got set up and running, they didn't need us there anymore. Um, they, they're quite capable of doing it all themselves. Um, probably a lot of things different to what I would have done, but that's okay because they're in their own country and they're in their own culture.
0: So let's go on to for you personally. Then your time in China. What would you say were the highlights, and what you would you say were the biggest challenges that you faced during your years there?
1: My highlights were. I just adored the babies. I just they were a highlight for me. I just loved the babies, um, and I loved doing what I was doing. I felt like I was making a difference. I felt like God was using me, mm-hmm. and that for me was such a highlight. And You grow so much closer to God in that situation because He's all you've got to lean on. Mm -hmm. You haven't got people telling you what to do. Um, You're sort of making the decisions, and and, you know He's the only one you've got to lean on. Mm -hmm. So they were the two biggest highlights for me: was the babies um, and drawing so much closer to God. My relationship with God grew incredibly. Um, The the hardest parts. Um, It was never really hard, but I must admit there were quite a few days when I would go home at night into my apartment and shut the door on China and just be Australian and (laughs) cook Australian food and uh, Western food and and just being able to do that, that was very necessary. Mm. I don't think I would have managed um, had I not been able to do that. And I had some beautiful friends and wonderful expats that, that were there. Um, we were a little community, so right. it was wonderful. But even with that community, you still need to sort of get away and shut the shut the door on the world yeah. and, and even just sit with God in quietness, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Right, so
0: you were talking earlier also about the challenge of your little nest egg that um, you oh, had set aside.
1: <laughs> That was pretty devastating, but obviously it was something God knew I didn't need. Before I went to China, I'd set up, I had quite a bit of savings away, and and I thought, well, that's what I can live on because I didn't go with any supporters at all. My church didn't send me, Um, I went on my own. But I put away a certain amount of my money and invested it. And no sooner got to China, very quickly after I got to Xi'an, actually, the market crashed. And I lost my my whole little nest egg, and it was devastating because I thought, "What am I going to do now? I've got nothing to go home to—absolutely nothing." Um, and it did devastate me for a bit there. I, I was in tears. I thought, I, "All these plans that I'd made, um, and and now it's come to nothing, and I'm going to go home and have nothing." But God, God had—he had it all in hand. At that <laughs> time, my walk with Him was not—it was still strong, but. When you sort of think you've got to think you've got to do all these on your own, mm, and mm. you don't encounter, you don't do it with God in mind. I had set that up all on my own, thinking I need to do this, but obviously God knew I didn't need to do this. So, okay. yeah. So.
0: Nevertheless, I mean, we 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 always encourage people to go to the field with um, a support team, especially, um, yes. but also, yeah. I mean, normally would have a sending church, but. A support team. And I think you did have um, a, a group who really prayed for you. Is that right? And one person. I, did.
1: I had a, a lovely group of ladies who prayed for me all the time. And I always knew that they did. And um, yeah, one of them was a lady called Bubbles, we called her, because she was a bubbly person. And she she prayed daily for me. And I always knew when she was praying But then that feeling went one day, and and I tried to contact her for over a week and I couldn't get in touch with her. And then one of my other prayer partners emailed me and said, Oh, we're having Bubbles' funeral tomorrow. And I thought, What? What? Bubbles is bubbles. Did that bubbles die? And and they hadn't thought to let me know. And that was another devastation to me, that not just that she died, but then nobody thought to let me know. Right. You know, communication from home is so important. It's right. If you haven't got that from home, then you feel so much more alone, so much isolated.
0: Right.
1: Uh, and so I how, actually, did that make you,
0: how did that make you feel that the people that uh, had let made you made know? It made me feel
1: forgotten. It made me feel forgotten. Right, And I right. actually did talk to my church about that when I came home from my, my next holiday because they always asked me to talk about what I was doing in that. And, and I brought that up, you know, and I said, you know, um, you know with the work I'm doing. I said, but I want to talk to you about yeah. how I feel when you forget me. And I said, I sometimes feel when I leave Esperance, I'm forgotten. Mm. And, you know, when I heard about Bubbles Funeral before I even knew she died, I said I, I was just devastated, and communication was so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, a meeting with the elders of the church and as well, and yeah, so um, I was able to share that with them. But I, I know that that was the feeling I used to get that as soon as I left Esperance, I had been forgotten.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, so after that, it was a lot better.
0: OK, so the, um, Bev was just starting to say, and I've, I've asked her to repeat it, um, about uh, being uh, called in by the police in um, the, the PSB, the Public Security Bureau in China. So um, why don't you share that, Bev, again?
1: Yeah, we had been um, in the mountain areas, sharing um, giving coats out to, to the children, winter coats out. And um, I had been taking photos of the beautiful scenery because it was all snowy and was really pretty. And, and then about five o'clock in the afternoon, we went to leave um, someone's home and the PSB met us at the door, the police security, um, and they marched us off to the police station into town. We had to follow them into the police station. And I had a translator with me and they separated me from them, which really, was really scary um, fortunately, they didn't go through our van because it had Bibles and Bible tracts and all sorts of things in it. But they bought another translator for me, and I said to her, um, "So you speak English, do you?" And she said, "Yes, yes." I said, "Did you learn to? Did you learn in university? Did you learn English?" She said, "Yes, yes." And I said, "Oh, how many years did it take you to learn?" She said, "Yes, yes." <laughs> and I suddenly realised. She couldn't even speak English and, I th- and, and we were there for about six hours um, and they went through my camera and everything because apparently there had been an army base in the mountains somewhere. We oh, didn't see fine. it but fortunately, you know, so fortunately we didn't see it so I had no photos of it, just scenery and um, we, we had to get in our van and we had to leave the whole province within two hours of getting out of the PSB. But but they we had been following to... you
0: then, is that how? Um...
1: Yeah, they'd been following us around all day apparently and we didn't know about it.
0: But all you were um, doing was just handing out coats to um, Giving
1: families. out new winter coats to the children. Um, we supplied them to a lot of the school children that we were supporting, that, that China Heart was supporting at the time. And so we bought them all these coats for winter and, um, yeah, we didn't realise we were being followed around and they were very sneaky about it. And, yeah, so it was pretty scary. About? Um, yeah, I don't know what they did with the China, with the people Chinese people that were with me. I don't know what happened to them. But, uh, yeah, I, I hated being separated from them because I thought, now what am I going to do? So, mm. yeah, but. Anyway, so it was funny that, but it had been a serious, could have been a serious situation. If they'd gone through our van, then I probably would have been sent home to Australia and and the Chinese people with me probably would have been put in jail. Hmm.
0: So, yeah, so it could have been very serious. Hmm. Great. So, uh, tell me or tell us what, um, why in the end did you leave China? What actually happened? when you actually came to leave?
1: Um, I had been home on leave and sadly my son committed suicide and um, I, just, um, I just went into shock, I think. Um, and you sort of move in an, like an automated way. Suddenly things that you, you, you never thought you'd have to handle, you have to handle. I don't think any parent should bury a child ever. It's just, it's just terrible. But then I went back to church, back to China within six weeks, and I was still in shock. I should never have gone back. Mm-hmm. I was still in shock, and I just, um, I felt destroyed. Um, I never ever questioned God, and I'm so happy. I never ever questioned God about it. Um, but um, I, I was just in shock and devastated and just not handling anything very well at all. Um, and I know um, I, I talked to David about it and he said he he sent two ladies over from Sydney to do some prayer, um, prayer work with me. But I can remember saying to him at the time, but what if they come all the way over here, David, and, and do this Elijah prayer with me and then I still need to leave? Because I knew I needed to come home, and he said, "Well, then you leave." So they came over and did some a larger prayer ministry with me. But I look, I felt, I felt useless. I couldn't cope with anything. I was grieving. My yeah. son was dead, yeah. and I yeah. was grieving, and nothing else mattered at the moment. At, at that particular time, nothing else mattered. My so son
0: was gone. What do you know? What it was that drove him to that? I mean, were, were you aware of what was going on?
1: yeah he was in, he was in a bad place um and he he had been involved in drugs and alcohol but then he got married and had a family and he came good and he but he would go back i mean he had given his life to the lord but he would backslide so many times back into the the life of drugs and alcohol and i can honestly remember saying to a friend one day much before long before this happened Um, You know, I might get a phone call one day to say that Ken's dead. That's, you know, that's what it was like. Mm. But when it actually happened, nothing prepares you for that. Nothing. Mm. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they've done, where they've been. It doesn't matter anything. They're still your son. Mm. Still your son. And he was dead. He was gone. And, yeah, I, I just that's all I could think about at the time.
0: What impact did it have on the rest of the family?
1: Well, he was estranged from the rest of the family. They would have nothing to do with him. And that that's even something that made it even worse because it meant I couldn't talk to them about it. Mm. Um, and in fact, one of one member of my family said to me, Mum, I'm coming to Ken's funeral, but I'm only coming for you. I'm not coming for Ken and so i sort of i was just focused on ken at the time and i said well then don't come mm-hmm. don't come if you can't think of your brother you know now that he's gone if you can't forgive him if you can't think of him with with a little bit of love in your heart then don't bother coming and uh, yeah so it was it was it was pretty messy and i mean he'd earned their disrespect he mm-hmm. had been he had been dreadful to them his actions his manners, he he had he had earned their disrespect, and um, you know even mine. We'd had some terrible arguments and things, and he did some terrible things. But nevertheless, he was my boy. He was my son, no. No. and um, it doesn't doesn't matter what they do in the long run. When something like that happens, it doesn't matter what they've done. They're still your
0: son. No. So yeah. So that you went back to Australia in the end. Uh, how did
1: I, that... did. I, I did I I I did. came home um, in the January genu- or the January February of 2013 I wasn't being any useful uh, I wasn't being at all useful over there anyway and and I I just even with God I just couldn't function in that I I felt like I need I felt like I needed to be here I um and not with my family I didn't need to be with my family I wanted to be here with my with my church, with my Christian friends here. Right. Um, but even that, you know, I sort of, and I had lessons and been taught about re-entry and re culturalization but I had no idea what it was going to be like. Right. To me, there'd been lessons that I'd written down faithfully and, yeah, I expected well, this was going to happen, but it's not, it's
0: different to what you think. Well, because especially with that kind of a f- event having happened,
1: yes, yeah, that's right. Well, that added to it, and then on top of that, um, I'd had all my furniture, everything that I owned, in storage, and where it was, all the rain had got into it, and I'd lost, I lost everything, absolutely everything. Okay. Um, it was all just rotted away, and the furniture fell into pieces, and it was just so. Really, I came back with nothing but a, a heart full of grief, mm. um, and because you've changed so much when you go into ministry work like that you change you know you have you have to change when you're involved in something like that but when i came home i was changed but nothing else was here so i didn't fit yeah i just didn't fit here there was i didn't belong anymore i just felt like i didn't i didn't belong anymore um And I just didn't know. what. And I can remember, I was reading about it the other day in my old diary. I can remember sitting and saying to God one day, I am in a dark, dark place and I don't know how to get out of it. Um, And I had a wonderful pastor who would visit me at home once or twice every week. And, um, yeah, but we just sat and talked about God, what I needed to talk about. I needed to talk about my son, my grief. Um, but I didn't know how and he didn't know how, you know, so it took me, I'd say it took me a good three years before oh. I started feeling comfortable again. So, yeah, it was a pretty horrible time.
0: Yeah, sure. Did you ever ask yourself where is God in all of this or did you never, no, never do never,
1: that? Never, 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 never questioned God, never, ever questioned him in it at all, leaned on him, Mm -hmm. Mm intently because God showed me something, Christine, and this is interesting to share. Um, Before I went to China, I raised up a worship team And um, I wasn't a musician and I wasn't a singer, but I felt I had this real fire to raise up a worship team, which I did, and and I got flags and banners and I bought a shofar and just got really into heavy worship. And yet everyone, all the pastors, we had two pastors and the elders of my church were totally negative towards it, didn't want a bar of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but still they rostered us on um, but I had to fight and I I kept, for about five years I had this team going and and I had to fight for it all the time and every time we did worship um, I was criticised for what we did and we'd bring out the flags and I was criticised and it was negative, negative all the way and yet God put this fire in my belly and I knew it was what he wanted me to do. Um, so I stood up to them and I kept going and I kept saying I'm sorry I know that you don't like it but this is what God wants me to do um, so having remembering that um, when I came home from China many years later I can remember asking God about that time and said God what was that all about you know I I knew that you wanted me to do it but nobody else did and you know Christine, Honestly, God actually spoke to me audibly, I reckon, and he said to me, Bev, when you stood up to your pastors in that, I was putting a backbone, a spine in your back. I was building your strength because if you hadn't been able to stand up to them, then you would never have coped in China. And that's what it was all about. Mm. Um, And I thought, we just never know what God is doing. Who would have thought? I didn't even dream of coming to China at that time. I had the worship team. It was the last thing I thought about. Um, but that's what it was all about. God was preparing me. Right. So, you know, and, and that just opened my eyes so much that so we just never know what God is doing. And I don't question him because I know that whatever it is, he's got a plan. Mm. Mm. Got everything covered, you know. So, and yeah. and even with the death of my son. Um, the grief never goes away but you learn to live with it and I have been able to help or talk to other women who have lost children um, just to um, yeah just to comfort them just to be with them just to know what they need to do you know it's a lot of people don't know need know what to say in that situation Um, they need but you need to be able to talk about the one you've lost right and if Nobody wants to bring that up or listen to it. You've got no one to talk to. It's like they didn't exist. Mm. So, yeah. So So what you didn't
0: receive, you've been able to give out to others.
1: Well, this is right. And see, this is what God has used it for. And I don't believe it was God's plan for Ken to take his own life. So that was his choice. He Mm. made that choice. God didn't make the choice. But God always works for good. Yeah. And he will take. Take things like that, and he will work them for good if you're willing to allow him to. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's it, he, it has worked for good, even though you still feel the grief, um, but you live with that.
0: So, how mm. do you feel now? Um, you know, about all the lessons that you learned by living in another culture, do you feel that there's any space for that to be able to share, or do you Absolutely. feel that you have to dumb it down?
1: No, no, I don't. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, no, they wouldn't like to dumb it, down. It's a lot of people forget that you've been through that, and that's fine because life goes on. But because you've grown so much through it, um, it's been the most important part of my whole entire life, I believe, my time in China. It just grew me more than any other time of my life has ever grown me. That time grew me. And and I am much more tolerant and patient because of my time in China. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it does change you.
0: Right. And do you find, Mm -hmm. I mean, are there others who want to work cross-culturally? Are you able to input, mentor, um, talk to them? Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, I have been able to do that a couple of times, um, which was really good. Um, even, even my own granddaughter, she's been in Cambodia for um, she hasn't three years now because she hasn't been able to come home. She's teaching English as another language. Uh-huh. And so they finally got a flight home on the 28th of this month. And so I've been able to share with her on Skype about re-entry back into Australia, how hard it's going to be for really? her.
0: Yeah, uh, how
1: her friends have moved on but she hasn't because well she has but she's changed person so mm-hmm. I've been able to share with her um, we had a team I went with a team to South Africa and uh, when we came home from that I was um, I made it my business sort of to sit down with each one of them three or four times afterwards just to talk to them about how they felt and I wasn't the team leader. But um, but the team leader had never done it before. So, yeah, it has helped me. Yeah, it's, yeah it has grow, grown me so much.
0: Good for you to still be um, taking those experiences and make, making them valuable to others. That's wonderful. So oh. that brings me to my last question, which was um, you've already mentioned um, your granddaughter in Cambodia. There are a lot of people who have not been able to visit family um, because of covid mm-hmm. Some people have been wrenched out of their place of service because of COVID and not been able to return. So um, what would you say to people who are in that kind of situation? How could you encourage them?
1: The only way you can really encourage them, I think, is, is, I mean, they are, because of where they are, they are already having to lean on God a lot more and press more into him, but to keep in even keeping closer touch than they are now, to keeping closer touch with their families and loved ones and and the ones that have been ripped out, you know, keep in touch with the ministry they were in. That that was a very important, I hadn't thought about that, but to be able to keep in touch with the ministry that they were in when they had to leave, um, that's a wrench out of your life. Right. you yeah, know and, and I think that's one of the things that um, I sort of felt when I came home when I came home from China um, I felt like I'd been wrenched even though I needed to come home I'd still been wrenched out of um, the relationships I had with the IES I mean I believe one of them was my heart sister Ying Chun um, <laughs> and I've never forgotten her or any of them and so yeah, it's, they, they do need to be able to to be allowed to keep in touch with those ministries that they were involved in.
0: I think that's a very important thing. Mm, mm. So, look, Bev, thank you. Thank you so much oh. for sharing your heart, sharing, I mean, the tough stuff. Because, yes. Because, you know, it's not a walk in the park when <laughs> we cross into no, another.
1: No, it's not. In fact, honestly, I believe it's harder coming home than it was going
0: and many people say
1: that yes simply because you've changed so much
0: yes
1: you know and and that's yeah that's that's the hard part as strange as it feels and as awful as it sounds you feel like you've grown closer with god than anybody else has because you had to lean on him but in fact of course you haven't they have their relationship with god too Mm -hmm. and it's different Mm -hmm. it's just different to what we've had
0: yeah Right. So one of our burdens in Field Partner is um, the sending churches. So I'm coming in with another question now. Sending churches, understanding what it takes to send and support well. So, yes. you know, I, I mean, I feel that this whole thing of re-entry is a, is a in an area that people are not aware of enough. And um, so I, I think your story is really important from the point of view of um, when people receive... Churches receive people back to understand mm-hmm. how to support them. You were talking about you would do the debriefing with people because it wasn't happening otherwise. And yeah. uh, you know, for yeah. people to sit there and just let you debrief. Yes. You talk about yeah. the highlights and the very real challenges and let you process all that. Um yes. you know, your your support team could do it, but really it needs to be um, orchestrated from the from the leadership of the church. It needs to be part of that process of receiving people back
1: that's right well I I think um I might have been a bit different because my church didn't send me and in fact my pastor didn't even believe in me being over there Uh and I can I can remember I made an appointment to talk to him one time when I was home and I wanted to talk to him about what I was doing in China and why I I felt God wanted me there and um, he all he could talk about was South Africa and, um, I went home to my friend's place in tears, and I said, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to know he just doesn't want to know, and he was the pastor of the church, mm-hmm. but as my dear friend explained, he was such a treasure, Russ Rogan, um, everybody has a ministry, and Dean's was towards South Africa, so what I was doing in China didn't interest him in the least, mm-hmm. but that hurt that really that really hurt me um but fortunately, we had two or three people in, in our church who had a heart for China. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and they they were the greatest support mm. for me. And even they, they, you know, even they were amazed that, uh, you know, because there were so many in, in this one church who had a real heart for China. In fact, one of them went over several times to China. Um, and yet the leadership didn't have a heart for China at all. They had a heart for South Africa. So um, you just got to understand that other people have different ministries. Yeah. So
0: mm. yeah. So anyway, um, I just wanted to say thank you again to Bev for um, sharing what she has and um and also to encourage you to go and listen to um, not only Bev's interview but the other interviews that we have up on the on Fear Partner. And while you're there, why don't you browse through all the other resources that we have? A lot of those we have already touched on in this interview. Um, And if you like what you see, please share them with other people if you know that they are um, needing to uh, hear some of this stuff themselves. Um, Like us on Facebook and um, just be part of our community. We we ask that um, you would do that. Thank you very much for, for joining us on this call. Bye bye, God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.